Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great tasting, all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Before we get started, I want to tell you about a great new podcast called Outside the Box. If you're a maker, an innovator, or even just a consumer who wants a peek behind the curtain of some of the world's greatest organizations, you'll love it. The latest episode, which is available right now, features former NFL commissioner Paul Tagliabue talking about the massive innovations both on and off the field that helped football become America's most popular sport. He also talks about how the opportunities and challenges the league has faced are similar to those faced by businesses of all types. Listen along on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by the Ford F-Series. DJ Bucky here. And, uh, Buck, we've got a lot to get to today. Going to get to the Monday Night Football recap. Going to chat some interesting NFL topics, including a theory we have about older quarterbacks. Then we're going to jump into some college, have some fun there as well. Man, we got a a jam-packed show. Jam-packed show. Lots of stuff to get to. Let's get right to it. All right, let's uh, let's jump in here. I let truth be told, did not see much of last night's game between oh, the Carolina Panthers you and the Miami Dolphins. I heard it was terrible. No, you uh, missed a good one. I watched a little bit of uh, of Cam Newton this morning on tape. I didn't even get through the whole the whole deal, um, but he looked like old Cam running around making all kinds of plays. And Miami Dolphins, uh, not 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 a good outfit right now, Buck. <laughs> no, not a good outfit. But I really want to focus on the Carolina Panthers and what I saw from them. I think they're a team that is on the verge of beginning able to get ready to go on a run. And the reason why I believe they're going on a run, offensively they're beginning to get back to what made them successful in 2015. That is allowing Cam Newton to be all things that he is, meaning he's a dual-threat playmaker. He's a guy who has to use his legs to get him going. We saw them use plays that allowed him to run zone read option, power reads. We saw some of the bubble screens. A lot of things that he was doing all the way back to his time at Auburn and I think we saw one of the best performances that we've seen from Cam this year. If the Carolina Panthers are going to continue to allow him to be everything that he is, I think they have a chance because that defense is good enough. The running game is coming into form. They just need their quarterback to play at an MVP level. He showed that he could do that last night. I mean, he is the, he is the unicorn in the NFL, right? I mean, there's nobody like him. 
He's no, a, I mean, he's a one of a kind. He is a one of a kind. Like he, he's a unique player, a unique talent, and I think that you have to play to his uniqueness. He is a guy that needs to run the ball. He is basically a single wing halfback with a big arm. And the Carolina Panthers have tried to make him a traditional quarterback. They tried to morph into the New England Patriots. That's not who he is. I think the best way for him to play and for them to play is to play the, the way that we've seen them play the last couple of weeks. Yeah, he's got four rushing touchdowns this year, closing on 500 yards. So he's definitely a factor with his legs and just just the package he comes in. He's just so dang big. I mean, there's just there's nobody there's nobody like him. No, there's nobody like him. And I think the thing that they've encouraged him to do is to slide and avoid the big hits. Try not to get hit on that throwing shoulder. And so, when you see a quarterback in the National Football League go on a 68-yard run on a zone read, those things are not supposed to happen in the pros. But you talked about him being a unicorn. He is that. He is a unique talent, something that we never had seen in the league before. All right, got a couple other NFL items I want to get to. Before we do that, though, we need to get to our uh, our O-line of the week presented by the Ford F-Series, which is something our good buddy Sean O'Hara does. You can go to NFL.com slash Ford, check out the Build Ford Tough O-line of the week. He ends up uh, ranking, I believe, the top five there in that article. And I haven't seen who Sean picked this week, Buck, but I thought it was a no-brainer for us. I- I'd nominate the New Orleans Saints. I don't know if anybody else is even close. Man, you know, I I think here's what would be close about it. I think the New Orleans Saints certainly deserve that. Anytime you can have someone put up how many, six rushing touchdowns? Darn near 300 yards. 300 yards. And then the Carolina Panthers would be a close second because they had 300 rushing yards last night against the Miami Dolphins. It was horrible. But uh, the New Orleans Saints are certainly rounding into form. They controlled and dominated the Buffalo Bills at the point of attack to the point to go on the road in Buffalo and to kind of impose your will using your running game, hats off to that offensive line for getting it done. Yeah, great player that not a lot of people talk about is Armstead. He is he is a freak show How at left that? tackle. Uh, he, he is a freak show, super athlete. Um, some people thought maybe he was just a combine wonder, but he is a much better player than athlete. We are seeing it come out. One of the best players that we've seen in that position. No question. All right, let's uh, let's jump back into some of these other NFL topics here. I was thinking about this. Remember a couple of weeks ago the Bills were rolling and we were praising them, saying, man, they just, you know, addition by subtraction. Get all these players that don't fit the culture. <laughs> let's get them out of there. And yeah. then I started watching this morning. I watched the Jags game against the Chargers. And Marcel Darius playing his butt off. Gave, he, big time. Gave away a good player. So, actually, somebody from the Jags then reached out to me and gave me this little nugget because I kind of tweeted out a couple plays and showed what he was doing dominating, man, Spencer Pulley from the Chargers. No bueno. No, no bueno no. in that one. Uh, Darius, before he got to – Jacksonville, the Jags were last in the league. They were out, uh, averaging uh, – opponents were getting 138.6 yards per game against them on the ground. Mm-hmm. Need to shore up the run. They go out – I think it was a six-round pick. Six-round – conditional six-round pick. Nothing. It's free. So they bring him over. In two games, he's had seven tackles, six of those tackles against the run. So in the two games with Darius – now keep in mind, 138.6 without him. With him, Cincinnati, 29 yards rushing. The Chargers, 87 yards rushing. So he has had a major impact, and he's motivated. Now you can say, okay, maybe he was he he gave up on Buffalo, wasn't playing with that type of motor. All I know is when I look at this defensive line, which is going to get me to another point here about this group, they're as good as there is in the league, and they're coming at you in waves. It, it's very similar to the Philadelphia Eagles. They have a lot of bodies, and they can beat you inside. They can beat you outside with their rush. They have done a great job. I wrote about this two weeks ago, the Jags big investment in their defensive line is paying off in spades. If you look at the commitment they made the last two years, first bringing over Malik Jackson, uh, putting him inside. Then you have, um, obviously, Calais Campbell being one of the best free agents that we've seen. They have Dante Fowler, first-round pick. 
Yannick Ngakwe, who has come over, who was a later-round pick. You then think about adding a Marcel Darius to that group. They have everything that you look for at the position, and it's a home-grown deal because the guys playing behind them, Miles Jack, Telvin, Telvin Smith, Smith running, around. Uh, running around, and then with the back end, the Jaguars have made themselves into being legitimate contenders uh, in the AFC strictly by really committing to building a monster, a bully on defense. They're as good as it gets on defense. Now, they're a little close to going over the line with some of their antics and the way that they play. <laughs> but I think what they've done, it kind of plays to the strength of they are a bully and they are beating you up. And I think this is exactly how Doug Marone wants his young team to play. What's the theory again? People have a theory. For those that don't know, when you're with teams on the on the NFL scouting side, you have the college scouting side when you're scouting the college players. But on the pro side, scouting other NFL teams, a lot of times teams use colors when you're, when you're breaking guys down. You hear the term blue chip player. Yep. There's something to that because the cards that you have on their rosters, you will have them as a as, as a blue, blue. Green, high light, high red. end player. Yep. So blue is a is a Pro Bowl caliber player. Yep. So when I we just r- r- rattle off a bunch of those names, but I'm looking at the Jags defense, and I I want to get to what it was. I want to say you, you want to have ten. Was it ten to twelve? Eight, eight, eight to ten. Eight, eight to ten, ten blues blue on, a cha- on a championship squad. So eight to ten. That's the number. I, I you just tell me if blue or not blue. Okay, I'll roll through some names here. Ngakwe. Man, he's close. He's on, close. on the border. Uh, Malik Jackson. I think he's a blue player. Calais Campbell. Definitely a blue. Telvin Smith. Blue. Miles um, Jack. Man, he's close to being one. Jalen Ramsey. Blue. A.J. Bowie. Blue. There's a lot of blue. A lot of blue, right, just on that defense alone. I mean, a lot of blue players. And, and then Dante Fowler has blue ability. Yes. He hasn't got there yet, but you see flashes of what he can do. Uh, Darius, I didn't even mention Darius. He can play at a blue level. Oh, he's, a, blue, he's a two-time pro bowler. Yeah. Two-time pro bowler. And the last time he was with Doug Marone, in the two seasons he was there, he amassed 17 and a half sacks and was a two-time pro bowler. So, yes, he is a blue player that they're getting to play like a blue player. So, by my math, players that either are blues or are capable or ascending to the blue level – I came up with eight names on their defense alone. Just on their defense alone. They are eight. They are going to be, and I think they will soon be recognized as the most talented defense in football. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that they have eight blue chip players on that side of the ball. That's ridiculous to have that many riches. And the last time we saw that, Seattle Seahawks. That's what I was I was you took the words right out of my mouth. That's what this is they're building. Unfortunately, Gus Bradley ain't gonna be there to see it, but uh, they are building the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, that's what they're doing. Now they got to get the quarterback thing squared away, have a couple key pieces on offense, but uh, no, that's going to be interesting. And I think that was a big game for them against the L.A. Chargers because uh, they didn't get a running game. We always thought that the only way that the Jags could win yeah. offensively, they had to have big games. Well, a fake punt for a touchdown pass. Yeah, I mean, fake punt. Um, Borders was playing okay, but then he showed again when they had to put it on the shoulders. He's incapable of being able to get it done. And to their credit, the defense came up with plays – they got stops. They were able to get a win. And so that defense can carry them a long way. And it'll be interesting to see as the battle comes down between the Titans and the Jags, which team is able to come up on top. Two teams that want to play a physical brand of football. Uh, last thing on the Jags. This is kind of a Jags-heavy uh, segment here. But Calais Campbell, watching him get after it in that game, drew a couple holding penalties. Uh, some of them were called. Some of them weren't uh, when you watch them against the Chargers. But I was going through my mind. I actually tweeted this out. Has anybody ever – won the NFL Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, their first year after being acquired. Primetime. Wow. Did it when he went to, to the uh, Niners. And then actually I believe Bryce – was it Bryce Pop with the hey, Bills? Hey, Bryce Pop. That's yeah. right. I played with Bryce. So he ended up winning it. So it's happened twice. So this is not unprecedented. But 
I think he's very much in the running to be a defensive player of the year. Talk about a great acquisition. Jeez. Great acquisition in the way that he has certainly impacted their squad, not only through his play on the field, but I think his leadership ability. He said he signed with this team sight unseen just because of what Coach Coughlin and Doug Marone were selling. And I think he has bought in, and I think that culture has certainly changed. Now, I will say this. When we went back and we looked through the draft process, the guys that they accumulated, that they acquired, even when Gus Bradley was there, they had alpha attitudes. Dante yep. Fowler's an alpha. Jalen Ramsey's an alpha. Miles Jack is an alpha personality. They got a lot of bark and bite on their squad, and it was a matter of being able to see if they could keep all those guys in line. Doug Marone has shown that he can kind of keep them together, even though they come dangerously close <laughs> to breaking the leash sometimes. All right, let's uh, let's we got to get theory uh, a theory we're going to get to in just a second, which we actually found some facts to back it up. But before we do that, talking about the Jags, talking about all these Pro Bowlers. The 2018 Pro Bowl vote is here. It's time to vote for your favorite players for the 2018 Pro Bowl, which is in Orlando this year. Uh, who do you want to see? It's up to you. Help your favorite players earn a coveted spot on the Pro Bowl roster. Who will you pick? Vote today. NFL.com slash Pro, Pro Bowl vote. So if you're into the Pro Bowl, there's your opportunity. Get out there and then make it happen for your favorite player. All right, Buck, we've talked about this, and so I actually got research to run some numbers for us, and we have the numbers in front of us right now. The theory that we've had, we've talked about it a couple times, Quarterbacks get older, can't don't have the same arm strength, can't push the ball vertically down the field as much. The guys that can survive and continue to play are able to incorporate getting the ball to backs and tight ends. They're easy completions. You take less hits, you survive, you can play a long, long career. So now we have in front of us the target list. Who has thrown the ball the most by team to running backs? This is one list. And to tight ends, which is the other list. So we've got it in front of us. We've got the data. What jumps out to you? The thing that jumps out to me, the older the quarterback, the more support that they need. I'm looking at this list, and of the top ten teams when it comes to throwing to quarterbacks, four throwing the, to uh, running backs or throwing to running backs, throwing to running backs. Four of the older quarterbacks that we always talk about: uh, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, and even Carson Palmer. Four of those teams are in that top ten. The New Orleans Saints are second in the league behind the 49ers, 97 targets to their running backs. Wow. The New England Patriots are fourth, 91 targets to their running backs. And so when you look at it and think about how these guys play, how efficient these quarterbacks have been later in their careers, it's because they understand how to utilize all the weapons available to them. And instead of playing our vertical game, they're playing a horizontal game and allowing their playmakers, their shifty playmakers out the backfield to do work on the perimeter. Yeah, and look, Carson Palmer with the injury, we can talk about him or not talk about him, but as a team, that that's where they where they sit. To me, it's interesting, the Saints talk about, okay, mm-hmm. they've had talented tight ends in the past, they've had talented backs this year, it's all shifted to the backs. Second most balls to running backs, if you look at balls to tight ends, dead last, 32nd in the league. Drew Brees is not using the tight ends. He's thrown, he's thrown uh, what is it, 40 targets to tight ends this year while he's thrown it to the back 97 times. So they're going to find the best matchup they can find. Now they've got guys that can win out of the backfield, especially Kamara and what he's done uh, getting in the mix there. Carolina Panthers, we talked about this in the draft last year. You go out and you get a Curtis Samuel. You go out and you get a Christian McCaffrey. Got to give Cam Newton, whose completion percentage has always been an issue, get him some easy throws. Here they are, third in the league with targets to running backs, the majority of those going to Christian McCaffrey. They've thrown 94 and I think Christian balls Mc- there. I think Christian McCaffrey leads the league in receptions by a running back. Yeah. So it makes sense. They found a way to use him and incorporate him 
as a prominent playmaker in their passing game. And I thought it was interesting. You look at the tight ends, you kind of see different trees emerge. You've got the Andy Reid tree, okay? Kansas mm-hmm. City, obviously, he's the he's the stump. Uh, they're number one in tight end targets. Andy Reid, that West Coast offense, it it lives and breathes through that tight end position. And look at look at who's number three, Doug Peterson, who's as close to Andy Reid as you'll get. Spent so much time together, played for him, coached underneath him. They are third in targets. Ninety balls have gone to Eagles tight ends, while ninety three have gone to the Chiefs. I mean, I think I think it's an interesting conversation. It's a nice parallel, and I'm gonna take it even farther because. Um, I played with Doug Peterson and under Andy Reid in Green Bay, and it goes all the way back to our time in Green Bay in the mid-'90s. At the time in Green Bay, we had Mark Tremur and Keith Jackson, two tight ends that we kept on the field all the time. They made life very, very easy for Brett Favre. We were lined up and throw to the tight ends 10 to 12 times a game on early downs on various Y-stick combinations. And so I think both of those guys gained an appreciation for really working the middle of the field with the tight end during that time, and they've continued to lean on the tight end as a prominent playmaker in the passing game. Yeah, I look at one more other takeaway here. Chicago, 10th most to backs, and they are tied for 16th to tight ends. That, to me, almost speaks more so to the fact they have no receivers. I mean, they've got oh, nobody. I, I mean, no, no. But that's a way to alleviate it because when you don't have um, you don't have necessarily number one players on the outside in the passing game, you can make up for it with your running backs and doing some of those things. And so that is a way to kind of minimize the weakness that you may have. And let's do let's uh, let's fill out a need here real quick for the Tennessee Titans. We love the the power that they run with with DeMarco Murray. Um, as well as uh, why am I drawing a blank on my big man from Alabama? Derrick oh, Henry. Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry. Two big, powerful backs. In the off season, the to-do list for them is to get a change of pace guy that's got a little game. Maybe they already have one. Maybe Adoree Jackson can be. Maybe that's who it. Maybe that's how they're going to use him in their role. Maybe that's why they've made that switch because when you look at running back targets, dead last in the league. Yeah, maybe using Adoree out of the backfield could be something that enhances him. I, I'm beginning to believe that Adoree and watching him play this year. He might be the Devin Hester of the league, meaning a very, very talented athlete, a gifted athlete, a big-time returner. Maybe he does or doesn't have a true natural position. Maybe you take advantage of his athleticism but kind of sprinkle him into the offense and using those skills and putting the ball in his hands. How about how about we nominate Adoree Jackson to be their third down back? How about that? Let's make it happen. Let's do it. Let's do it, Titans. We, uh, we threw it out there for you. You don't even need to thank us. Just do it. Um, all right, Buck, I think, we're, uh, I think we're good on our NFL topics. Do you want to jump over to some college? Yeah, we can go to a college recap, think about what is going on. In fact, you actually had a unique experience. You got a chance to see a quarterback live, Baker Mayfield. You went to that OU-TCU game. Tell me what you thought. Well, first of all, I, I want to get you let you jump in on this. We'll get to Baker in just a second. But people wonder um, why it's important to go see that position live. And to me, it's easily the most important position in the game, obviously. But it's the one position that in order to have a fighting chance, it's a hard, it's hard to do these guys, but to have a fighting chance, you've got to go see them in person and live. So for those that don't understand what I'm talking about there, Buck, why is it important to go see the quarterback live? When I, when I go to see a quarterback live, the first thing that I'm looking to gauge, I'm looking to gauge his physical stature because so, some, so many times when you're looking at a guy on tape, you can't figure out how big they are, how tall they are, how um, thick they are in terms of, trying to be able to be big enough to withstand the pounding that comes with playing a position in the league. I'm also trying to get a true sense of their arm strength. What is that 
arm strength like? How does the ball jump off his hand? Does he have uh, above average to elite level zip and velocity and pace on the ball? Can I see him change ball speeds and throw with touching timing, change the trajectory of the throw? Sometimes you can't necessarily gauge that on the film. And then the final part for me is I want to see how he interacts with his teammates and coaches throughout the game. Is he a, a communicative guy, a guy that is always kind of talking to his guys, or does he just kind of hang by himself on the end of the bench? I am trying to get a feel for his intangibles by being in the stadium and getting a feel for who he is, and does he have a commanding presence amongst his teammates? Great points. I, I want to, For those that are listening and you've wondered what goes into the evaluation of a quarterback, it's not just – how big is he? Is he accurate? Is it, you know, arm strength? No. Here, I'm going to give you a list. This is the checklist. So this is everything you'd have to put into a report when you're writing up a quarterback. So here we go. Um, specific skills, game management, setup quickness, pocket awareness, throw on the run, release delivery, uh, release slash delivery, arm strength, field vision slash decision making, touch slash timing, accuracy, short, medium, long, poise versus blitz, Mobility slash runability. Then the critical factors you have to put the grade on at the end. Accuracy, arm strength, leadership, poise, decision-making. That's a lot that goes into evaluating quarterback. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. That's why, for me, I not only like to see, like, the top prospects once, I like to see him multiple times because I want to make sure I have him down. It's such an important position. Uh, we know that you have to have a quarterback to really complete at a high level in the league. And so you want to make sure that you get it right. And so when you go live and you're trying to get a feel for those guys, particularly in big games, I also want to see how they perform under pressure, big game stress environments. What are they like when they're down? How are they when they're ahead? Do they understand how to manage situation and circumstance? All of those things factor into it because that guy is, in essence, the CEO of your program. He has to be the guy that's in charge. So I want to make sure he has all the things, all the traits, all the intangibles that you need at that leadership position. All right, so let's get back to Baker Mayfield. Went to that game uh, Saturday, and I'll give you a couple insights there to, to see what I saw. So I get down there early for warm-ups. He's one of the first guys on the field before uh, anybody's in pads. He's out there. He's got his, his, his pants on, just a, like a half shirt on. Um, he's out there with either – I don't know if it's a ball boy or if it was a, a backup quarterback. He's out there 20 minutes before everybody else. But he's not throwing the ball. He's running routes. So he goes down in the left corner of the end zone. He's running corner routes, one-handed catches, and, and fans are loving him. He he's oh, high-fives yeah. some fans there. He'll go to the other corner of the end zone, that same end zone, run different routes. This is going on for probably 10, 10 minutes or so, 10 or 15 minutes in this side, end zone. Goes down to the other end of the field and does the same routine in each corner of the other end zone, catching balls, just running. He is like the energizer bunny. Never bounce stops. around, never stops, high, high energy. Um, and, and everybody's just eating it up. And so get get down there, watch him do that. Talk about body type. He's built kind of like Russell Wilson, especially in the lower half. He's, he's, he's got a thick, muscular lower half. I used to see how tall he comes in. I would guess he's going to be right about six feet, a little bit over, maybe like 6002, 6003, something like that. I'm six one. I'm six oh one two. So that's six one and a quarter, um, and I'm taller than he is. So he's gonna be. I I believe he'll come in six and change. But um, the ball jumps out of his hand. He's got a live arm. He's twitched up in terms of you know just hips and release. He's got a lot of snap to him. Uh, talking to scouts on the field, he's gonna run. They say he's gonna run like a four nine. That's what they say at school. He's not gonna be. I mean, people expecting he's this. He's a quick-footed athlete. He's quicker than he is fast. He's not going to run a 4.5 at the combine. He's going to run a 4.9. Um, 
but his his short area quickness is outstanding. And I think seeing him in this game, a couple other things that stood out, he got rolled up on his leg early in that game, and when you're at the game, you can watch him on the sideline. He was hurting off to the side. Um, I don't know if man, he might not even come back in this game. Right back in there, kind of presses through it, fights through it. Team is always around him. He's never by himself. He's He's got that just kind of uh, – quality to him you know there's, there's that the uh that personality that just draws people in and you see it that that, that matters to me at the quarterback position I, I can go through I won't say names but I've been around other quarterbacks in those settings that have ended up being bust at the next level and they're off by themselves they're aloof that's not what I want at that position no you kind of want a guy that is um magnetic is that maybe the word I'm looking I think for? magnetic dynamic electric um he has a persona that brings people to him not only that I think when we did our podcast early in the summer when we had uh, the quarterback podcast. Yeah. And we heard so many guys talk about he kind of has to be the guy that brings hope. I just remember Clay Hilton talk, talking about quarterback and the quarterback needs to give the rest of the team hope. And so that optimism comes from his confidence, comes from his swag, the way he plays, the track record where he's delivered in big moments. Um, when you look at Baker Mayfield and you've seen the competitiveness, even the stuff that he called flag for when he stuck the flag in the middle of the O, he <laughs> dotted the State. O. I'm fine with that because in my experience, the best quarterbacks that I've ever been around have all been kind of borderline cocky, almost arrogant in the way that they feel about their own belief. And that's going back from Brett Favre, Jim Kelly, Rich Gannon. Uh, Mark Brunel had a little bit of that. That is how they're built. And so I'm looking for the guy that is a little prickly, that has that that confidence, that I'll show you kind of mentality. So that bodes well for me when I think about Baker Mayfield and what he could be at the next level. And they said that competitiveness at practice is what you see on game week. Kid loves to practice. I think he's real, real competitive with the defense. They were telling me one of the stories of a scout that was at one of the practices said the defense had started to make a couple plays and started chirping. And so – Baker got in there and just just carved him up, and they said just real quietly started going defense, <laughs> defense. Well, you know they don't play a lot of defense over there in the Big Twelve. Oh, no, but I'll tell you what, I tell you what. After seeing it up close, correct. There's so the tackling is not good, but the quarterback play and the offensive coordination is so much better than the SEC. The SEC is bigger and more physical, no doubt. Oklahoma, maybe I'll be proven wrong in the playoffs, but I'll, they're scoring 30 on everybody. That's happening. I mean, they have some fast guys. Uh, their quarterback that quarterback Marquise is, Brown can fly. That quarterback is lights out. Lincoln Riley does a great job of the calling back played plays. out of his mind. 24 played out of his mind. Unbelievable. He was working that one-on-one on one option route. I don't know if he has a ton of juice, but he catches everything. They couldn't get him on the ground. He ran for over 100, caught for over 100. I think he had two receiving and two rushing. I mean, they – they, they pose a huge challenge to anybody. I think the great thing about this, man, I would love to see Baker Mayfield get into the playoffs because, look, we talked about it. We saw Deshaun Watson play on a, on a big stage, and that was able to convince some people that, look, he would be the right guy to play at the next level. Seeing Mayfield, we probably won't get a chance to see Donald or Rosanna Allen participate yeah. <laughs> in those things. So I at least want to see one of the guys that is being talked about as a potential first-round pick. I want to see him play on a big stage and see if he's able to deliver when all eyes are on him. You mentioned Darnold and Rosen, and I'm going to go to the game. Are you going to the game this weekend? No, I think I'm going to hold back. I'm going to watch this. I think I'm going to try and save my bullets until the Pac-12 championship game. Oh, that would be good. All right, I'm going to try and get out there and see those guys square off one last – well, 
one, maybe not one last time. They, I guess they both could come back and do this all over again. The expectation is at least one of them will end up bouncing. But I'm going to go check them out. And I know you're writing something this week on the two of them, and I know you've dug in and, and watched the tape. What would you find out? I oh, mean, I think this is an interesting um, conversation, compare and contrast. One, going all the way back to the time when these guys were together on the Elite 11 Tour, tracking them from high school all the way through and watching them play in the same city, trying to figure out who's the king of L.A., at that QB1 spot. I think the interesting thing when you look at Donald and Rosen, their playing styles are nothing alike. But I think both have commanding presence. Um, Both have the ability to win games at the position, but they do it in a different fashion. When I look at Rosen, he is more your traditional, traditional, classic pocket quarterback. Beautiful throwing motion, nice arm, outstanding arm talent. He can make all the throws. I kind of liken him to an MLB pitcher. He has every pitch in the book. He can give it to you with finesse. He can fire it in there. He can do all those things. I think he throws with timing and anticipation um, better than some quarterbacks that I've seen in the last five or so years in terms of really just getting it out and understanding. The big thing this year that has continued to pop up, questionable decisions under under duress. Uh, sometimes he can try and do too much. Some of that is due to the lack of support and cast that he has around him. But I think overall – He's a tough player. He's very competitive. I think the big thing will be, if you're an offensive coordinator, does your personality jive with his personality? Because he's a high IQ guy, and he's going to challenge you on the board, and you have to make sure that you're comfortable being challenged and you have to know your stuff. And Sam Darnold, I think all the traits, the intangibles are off the charts. He's a man's man. He's a guy's guy. He's a natural leader, ultra competitive. We've seen him in big moments on the brightest stage. He delivers. Um, he's a guy that people are going to wonder about the unorthodox delivery, but I think he actually has a quick release. The ball comes out mm-hmm. pretty it's explosive. Fast. It's explosive. It, it, it comes out, and they do a lot of things that are kind of at the line of scrimmage or within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. The ball is out. I don't see the windup really being an issue. I think the big thing for him is the pocket discipline. He has a tendency to drift a little bit, and he wants to be on the move. So those things have to be coached, but that's a correctable deal. I think the big thing for him, he has a gunslinger mentality, and sometimes you have to rein it in. You'll see some questionable decisions when it comes to, man, why is he throwing the ball in there? Understand situation and circumstance. And the way that he plays kind of reminds me a little bit of Jameis Winston in terms of he never can give up on a play. But those same traits that, man, kind of lead you to question, they also are the things that make him great in big moments. I'm a big fan of both of these guys. I think – the majority of people and evaluators will lean towards Sam Darnold because I think he's an easier fit in most of the 32 rooms. But I can see where Josh Rosen could rank ahead in some spots in terms of a pure pocket passer and what you want at the position. All right, I've got a, at the risk of being called a, a Darnold apologist, which I know is coming. I, I have been critical of some decisions he's made in the Notre Dame game and some other games, but when you dig into this a little bit, and again, you can't just look at this stuff at the surface. you got to dig a little bit deeper. Last year, his first year as a starter, he only threw nine interceptions the whole year. He threw 31 touchdowns mm-hmm. through nine interceptions. Now, if you look at that team last year, you had a senior in, in Darius Rodgers. You had an experienced player in, in Juju Smith-Schuster. So those are the two kind of key guys in their offense, as well as Deontay Burnett, who played a little bit. Darnold throws with more anticipation than any of these other quarterbacks. And that's one area that I think you have to give him all the credit in the world. He is he has a no fear, no flinch, and if he sees what he likes, he's going to let it rip. Now, with 
senior-laden guys last year. Only nine interceptions because they were supposed to be where they were where they were supposed to be. The ball was there. You didn't have any issues. Now this year, breaking in a bunch of new guys. You got Tyler Vaughn's a redshirt freshman who's turned into be a stud. He's but be was a not playing player. a lot early in the yep. season. Um, you have Pittman, who was hurt early in the season, who has now gotten healthy, another young guy. So he's playing with some new guys. First three games of the year, Bucky, threw six picks, two, two, and two. Since then, you, he hadn't thrown more than one interception in a game, and really I think it's over the last one, two, three, four, five. Over the last, like, five games, I think he's got 12 touchdowns and two picks. So right now, as as we said earlier in the season, we talk about the numbers. Let's wait until we get to the mm-hmm. end of the season to look at it. So last year – 31 touchdowns, 9 picks. Right now he's got 24 touchdowns, 11 picks. That ratio is starting to increase a little bit, and he's starting to look a little bit better just on the paper. Now, to me, the biggest issue with Sam Darnold is the fumbles. That is something he has got to clean up. Way too many balls on the, on the ground. Inside the pocket needs to be more, more strong and more secure with the football. But that, to me, of all the criticism of Sam Darnold, that, to me, is the one that he has got to hone in on. He's got to fix. Can't put the ball on the ground that much. No, he can't put the ball on the ground that much. But I think here's the thing. I think the numbers have to be kept in perspective. I think some of it has to be your eyeball test and what you've seen. I can say what we've seen from Sam Donald is a long resume of big-time performances in key moments. And so there are some guys where, look, throw the numbers out and let's look at the tape and let's watch how they play. Yep. He plays it like a big-time quarterback. He plays it like – an elite-level quarterback under pressure. And so I am always willing to lean towards those guys who are able to step up in critical moments because we've seen him play in a number of critical moments. And so I think he's good in that vein. I think Josh Rosen has also shown that he can play in those big moments. Baker Mayfield has shown that he can play in those moments. Of all the guys that we talk about in the discussion, Josh Allen will be the one where we would have to go back and look how he's performed in big games and big moments. Do we feel confident enough that he deserves to be in the discussion with, I guess, what we can call the big four now if we include Baker Mayfield in that discussion? Yeah, no, I think it's. I think that's a very, very valid point. I think that's going to be the debate that takes place inside the room. And the best – what is it? The best predictor of future behavior is past yeah, performance. performance. I mean, so we've got we've got something now. I mean, selfishly, as, as an evaluator, I would love – for both Darnold and Rosen to go back. That's selfish because it just gives me more to look at. It just mm-hmm. gives it gives it puts more on the canvas and you feel like you've got a, it's a little bit easier to make that decision. Probably, you know, look, Rosen missed almost all last year. He's missed some games this year. Mm-hmm. Darnold, this is really his second year playing. So, I mean, I think that's that's me selfishly. I'd love to see these guys in the NFL, no doubt it'd be a lot of fun. But it'd make our jobs as evaluators a heck of a lot easier if they both went back. So here's a guy that doesn't get included in the conversation much, but he's kind of hanging out there. Lamar Jackson from yep. Louisville. Uh, the Randy Heisman Trophy winner has – man, he accomplished something that we haven't seen. He's one of only four to maybe have 3,000 passing yards and 1,000 rushing yards. He's done it in back-to-back seasons. He's actually, when you look at the numbers, kind of on track to match the production that he had a season ago. We haven't heard a lot of conversation outside of people saying that maybe he needs to play another position. But what is your take? I know you started to look yep. at him a little bit. Dug into him a little bit today um, and just watched that last game against Virginia. It's interesting, Buck, because I don't know if I've seen a more explosive athlete. Vic had come in. I wasn't scouting. I think I started in 03. He came so out in one He was my first year scouting. Yes. Vic. So I didn't – I mean, I watched him on TV like everybody else did, but I didn't really dig in and study him. 
but just in terms of the the suddenness when he puts his foot in the ground and goes, Buck, he is gone. He he is. He had that game against Virginia. He has zone read, seventy something yard touchdown run, and it was on cruise control for the last thirty yards. He's unbelievable. If you go back and you watch his high school huddle tape, he makes the same plays in high school. Like he's the same guy, super explosive. Obviously, when you have an athlete that likes to run as much as he has, back-to-back 1,000-yard season, had 1,500 yards his Heisman Trophy year, you wonder, can he sustain it? Can he stack up? And so then people wonder about the size. And I had an opportunity to watch him live early in the year when they played North Carolina. He is a little thicker than I thought, and obviously he is tough. He's a guy who hasn't sustained an injury throughout his entire time in college. And I know automatically people are going – to kind of make the comparison between he and RG3, but I think they're different players in the way they go about it because I think Lamar Jackson has more overall awareness when he has the ball in his hands. He doesn't necessarily take these big shots that RG3 took. And even in saying that about RG3, he was a guy that was an offensive rookie of the year his first year. He's a Pro Bowl player. He got the Redskins to the playoffs. And I know we're saying that style of play is out of style, but I wonder – if you have someone who can invest in a guy like a Lamar Jackson who is willing to run an offense or already has pieces in place to run an offense like that, I'm just curious where Lamar Jackson fits into the quarterback puzzle because there's no doubt he's an upper echelon athlete, but he's a guy that still needs to work on some of the finer things of playing a quarterback position. Yeah, accuracy was the issue for me. I, I love his touch on the fade ball. That's what he does best. That's the best throw he makes. Really, anything kind of over the top with touch over the top, he has a good feel for it. Drive ball accuracy was an issue. I mean, even just some simple stuff, you'll see just kind of a catch, rock, and throw slant where you've got a clean window and the ball's on the back shoulder. Um, he just he doesn't place the ball very well. And it, you don't get carried away with completion percentage in the college game because you need a, it's more about placement as opposed to the completion percentage. But – He's a you know 54% his first year, 56 and 60. So he's trending in the right direction. But in the college game, I don't care what offense you're running, you want to be a little bit more efficient than that. He's just not a he's not a dead-on accurate passer. And even some of the the accuracy on the move, which I expected maybe be a little bit more comfortable getting him on the move, you see some balls take off and sail. The thing is though, when he takes off and runs, he's a threat to score from anywhere on the field. And if if he runs like he does, safeties are going to get sucked up, and that leads to the best ball that he throws, which is over the top. So Somebody, somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to say, "Man, I can make this work." This kid's pretty dynamic. Oh, I, th- I think that I think the big thing here is I think the Deshaun Watson thing and the Dak Prescott thing in back-to-back years may actually help him. Dak Prescott was a hard evaluation because he was a guy that also ran heavy during his time in the SEC. Never gained over a thousand yards. At his height, he had maybe 950 yards. His final year, he had 800 and some yards. But he was a guy that when we looked at him at Mississippi State, he was a spread offense quarterback. We didn't think that he would become the guy that he has become, a guy that has gone over 100 passer rating maybe 15, 16 times early in his career. So I think that and the fact that Deshaun Watson and the way the Houston Texans look with Deshaun and without Deshaun will help Lamar Jackson in the room. We'll see if, if he does decide to come out, if anyone would be willing to take a chance and kind of build around the talent and potential that he's shown thus far in his career. Yeah, he's going to be a fun evaluation. I need to get out and see him, hopefully in a, in a bowl game, get out there and uh, check him out live. I know you've had an opportunity to do that, so I need to get out there and do that myself. But Buck, I think we've we've covered quite a bit of ground. We didn't even get into these uh, these four playoff teams, which is kind of a big-picture college thing. That's going to be fun to watch how this uh, sorts itself out. But, man, college football this year, what a great year. It's a fun year. 
I mean, it's been a great year, and it's only going to get better because we're beginning to see the things come to fruition. Upsets everywhere, players everywhere. I'm kind of excited to see how it goes down the stretch. You like Mercer this week? Mercer. You going Mercer against Bama? You got Mercer? No, I'm not going Mercer against Bama. Come on, man. Make a bull no, move. No. They're just kind of spent, you know, emotional game. Uh, no. <laughs> emotional game last week. Yeah, yeah. No. G- g- gave it all up. Uh, that Iron Bowl is going to be interesting, though. No, that might be one to get out to. It might be Thanksgiving week, though. A little tough to pull. I know. On the home front. I'm going to sit that. I'm going to watch that one on the couch. <laughs> all right, let's get out of here. I think we have to be out of this room anyways. I love working in the Beast Quake. It's our fun podcast of the week, our Tuesday pod. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. Thank you guys for downloading. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, for leaving us those uh, reviews and uh, little ratings on iTunes. We do appreciate that as well. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash grandhighlander. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 